All right. Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have you with us today for our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. Tomorrow's the last Sunday of the festival half of the church year, and what we've been doing for the festival half um, is on Saturdays looking at uh, the Sunday readings or at least the Old Testament and epistle, or an optional Old Testament and epistle, uh, and doing so to prepare for tomorrow. Um, But as I'm looking forward, as we look into the summer, um, Saturdays actually will just be a continuation of what we recognize each day, unless there is a feast day or some um, other holiday that we want to recognize on that day. So uh, we'll we'll take a break from Saturday being a a preparatory day and instead being uh, typical to Monday through Friday, being that we're not in the school year. All right, so uh, that's part of the reason for that. During the school year, we want to make sure that um, the readings that, those continuous readings, that we don't skip one on the weekend, and then that throws the children off when they come back on Monday, that they missed one if they didn't uh, have the opportunity to hear it at home. So, um, but during the summer months, uh, a little less concerned about that, right? Because they're all home. So yesterday was the last day of school. Uh, so today's the last day of this, this schedule for Saturdays. All right. Hopefully that made sense to you. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, we say our memory verse for this week one more time. We love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4, verse 19. And our psalm for this week, the second half of Psalm 118. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen.
All right, I'm going to leave the psalm up on the screen there, or most of it anyway. And uh, we did, we prayed the first half of it last week, um, but today, of course, it'd be appropriate for us uh, to go back and do her meditation on this text. I think I've mentioned to you, maybe last week or this, I can't remember, that this is the last of the Hallel Psalms. So this would have been um, the final psalm that would have been sung or prayed uh, at the Passover, especially think Palm Sunday. Uh, so save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Save us, O Lord. Hosanna, right? Save us, Lord, is right there in it. So you know, those Hallel, those Hallelujahs, and those Hosanna psalm right there. Um, and as such then, here's meditation. This is again from Christ in the Psalms by Patrick Henry Reardon. Besides being the last psalm of the 16th uh, Kathisma, Psalm 117, or Hebrew 118, has been long been favored in both the East and the West as the major psalm for Sunday matins. All right, so we don't celebrate matins uh, independently of the divine service. Um, typically, that's what would have happened. Matins, divine service, then vespers later in the day. Um, this is the psalm that speaks of the day that the Lord has made, encouraging us to rejoice and be glad in it. You see it right there, verse 24. And Sunday is pre- preeminently that day wherein we most fittingly sing, God is the Lord and he has given us his light. In the ancient liturgical tradition of the church, Psalm 117, or here 118, is the psalm that sets the tone for Sunday morning worship. Every Sunday morning is full of the great Pascha or Paschal surprise. Quote, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who, who said he was alive. Luke 24, 22 to 23. And our response to this message from the mere myrrh-bearing women, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. That's verses one through three, which we read last week. Sunday morning is the hour of victory at which we of the Eastern Church normally read one of the gospel accounts of the resurrection, such as the usual and proper context for this psalm. Still bearing in his flesh the wounds of the, the passion, The risen Jesus comes to his church in the vibrancy of his conquest over sin, Satan, and death. I called to the Lord in distress. He answered me and set me in a broad place. That's again the first half of the psalm we read last week. All nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them, or as ESV has it, will cut them off. They surrounded me like bees, they were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. And then uh, this would have been verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Every Sunday morning is the church's, church's jubilant celebration of the resurrection of Christ. Joining the myrrh-bearing women who discovered his empty tomb, we raise our voices to greet the new dawn <clears throat> with shouts of exultation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Now we're to our portion here today. The message of Sunday morning is that the forces of death have not prevailed. 
I shall not die, but I shall live, and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. We Christians have every right to find Psalm 117, the expression of our paschal joy. Paschal is just the Greek word for Passover, by the way. Even the children of Israel had recourse to a line of this psalm to greet the Lord on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, We were just talking about that, right? Right here, verse 26. This line of our psalm, moreover, we sing at the central point in every celebration of the divine liturgy by way of greeting our Lord's arrival on the Eucharistic altar. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Think of um, the Sanctus, right? Blessed is he, blessed is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. All right. Um, So that's an Eastern tradition. It happens to be a Western tradition too. And whence did we Christians derive the idea that Psalm 117 is a psalm about Christ? Well, from a very good source, actually. Christ himself. Our Lord quoted a line of this psalm to his enemies by way of interpreting his parable of the wicked vine dressers. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is, or this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Mark 12, verse 10 through 11. Using a play on words, Jesus here identifies himself as both the son, Ben, and the stone, Aben, of his story about the drama of his death and divine vindication. That's, again, the parable of the wicked vine dressers. The Lord's parable is thus the interpretive key to this psalm. It is in the resurrection that we receive that the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The detailed accounts of the Lord's passion are descriptions of his rejection by the builders, while the gospel stories of the risen Jesus are the narrative of the Lord's doing that is so marvelous in our eyes. Psalm 117 is a canticle of the empty tomb. It is to the risen Jesus that we sing with the myrrh-bearing women, You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Right here. It is to the risen Jesus that we say with Mary Magdalene, Rabboni. It is to the risen Jesus that we address the words of the Apostle Thomas, my Lord and my God. Truly, in the resurrection, we see clearly that God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Isn't that a brilliant meditation on the psalm? Well, it's such a brilliant psalm, is it not? (laughs) All right. Um, We will continue with the psalms next week, um, well, beginning tomorrow, I should say. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 119, which you know is broken up into, um, it's an acrostic psalm, it's broken up by the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, so Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, right? So we'll do Aleph and Beit tomorrow, starting tomorrow, that's uh, A and B, if you like, in English. Um, those separated as separate psalms, but it's just two parts of Psalm 119. All right. Excellent. Um, there was a question before we began about um, the image here on the title slide. Um, this is an interpretation of, of Isaiah 6. This is from, uh, what is it called? Uh, Eyes of Mercy. Um, you can find them on Facebook. I don't actually, <laughs> I don't really know their, uh, I think it's Eyes of Mercy, isn't it? Uh, no, maybe not. Excuse me. Um, they do, uh, you know, kind of modernistic interpretive art of uh, scripture texts with a meditation. Eyes 
oh, full of eyes is what it's called. Excuse me, full of eyes. I'll link to their page um, in the chat here once I get it pulled up. Yeah, it's, uh, let's see, re go to their about page. So, um, full of eyes uses still and moving pictures as means of proclaiming the beauty of God and his son and the hearts and minds of people around the world. All right, so full of eyes. Uh, apparently, this is now their 10th anniversary. All right, so here I'll just link, I'll link to their actual page, not their Facebook page. Um, or maybe I'll do both. Okay. Um, anyway, it's an interpretation there of Isaiah chapter 6. So you can see uh, uh, Isaiah is the little little figure down at the bottom. Um, and then, of course, the Lord upon his throne is the figure up above. And I uh, love the way that he's, of course, shining with light. And we have the seraphim with their six wings on either side, right? Uh, wings of flame. And, of course, the Lord is lit up with flame. But then you have uh, the light figuring as a cross, and of course the cross coming upon uh, Isaiah, the man in darkness at the bottom. I think it's a lovely interpretation of, of the text, but we should probably hear it. All right. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. All right, so this is the calling of Isaiah to be prophet. Um, it's set up uh, with a time reference here, the year that King Uzziah died. Um, but then, of course, it's a vision, um, whether it was in the body or out of the body, we don't know, to quote Paul. but. Um, it is a vision of, of, of heaven, but it's also a vision of the divine service, all right? So um, when we come into the Lord's presence, we see upon um, the throne, that is the altar, our Lord, who sits there, of course, in his body and blood for us, for our forgiveness, right? We sing with the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, right? That's the sanctus. Um, and we cry out in confession, even before we approach the altar, woe is me for am I undone, right? I, a poor, miserable sinner all the different ways that we say it. I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, etc. Um, I don't deserve to be in your presence or to see your face, right? Um, we say the same thing at the beginning of the divine service. And then, of course, um, the seraphim, the angel of the Lord, comes, that is, the messenger of the Lord comes with the word of forgiveness on his lips to cleanse your lips, right? Your iniquity is taken away, your sin is purged. I forgive you all your sins in the name of Jesus. Then we proceed into the divine service, of course, having been purified, that is cleansed, forgiven. Now our lips are loosed to confess his name. And actually, throughout the service, we approach his altar, right? Um, and so the culmination for everyone gathered together in, the Christ in Christian worship and divine service is actually to come to the altar of God and to receive from him um, his many gifts. And then, of course, the Lord himself declares, having come to his altar, the Lord 
make his face shine upon you and give you peace, right? So you actually see the Lord face to face like Isaiah. Um, but again, in the forgiveness of sins, you can do so without fear. Uh, but again, I also love the idea. I, I, I reiterate this enough times, maybe at some point uh, uh, someone will take it upon themselves to have some action. Um, it would be really lovely to have uh, around the cupola of the altar, that's the rare dose in the back, that's that, that castle looking part, as if, like, if someday if we did some repainting to actually paint um, seraphim uh, or even cherubim as well around the altar, surrounding the altar, so that what we confess is actually visibly manifest, at least through art. Um, but it would be fitting then also, in addition to the angels around the throne of God, is to picture the, the saints, thinking of uh, the four living creatures, right? Um, the evangelists, but also then um, the saints of God, the 12, the 144,000, if you like, uh, from Revelation. It could get quite busy, <laughs> um, but wouldn't that be lovely? All right. There's something to think about as a future uh, project to uh, teach through visual means what we confess with our lips and what the scripture gives us. Um, Luther actually did something interesting when it comes to divine service um, that you may know about, you may not know about, which is uh, to translate or to create a divine service in the vernacular, that is in, in German, right? He did this for um, the German people. And so what he did, like in regards to the Sanctus, um, this is from Luther's works, volume 53, which has to do with all of his liturgical reform. Um, listen to what um, is written there in regards to the, the German mass. It says that the text of the Sanctus, all right, so holy, 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 is a paraphrase of Isaiah 6, one through four, and the melody in the in the German divine service, and the melody is a free ad adaptation of the plain chant, the Sanctus, in Dominis Adventus et Quadragesimi in the in the Graduali uh, Romanum. All right, so Isaiah, mighty seer in days of old, you know Luther's Sanctus, that's just an adaptation of the of the chant, except in German and now in English. Johann Walter vouches for Luther's authorship with the following words. Among other melodies, it is the German Sanctus which shows Luther's perfect mastery in adapting the notes to the text. That was his cantor saying that, his musician, so brilliant. And we will concur in this judgment if we note the expressive rise in the melody on lofty throne and six wings and faces clear, holy as God, the climax on the loudly raise the shout and the melody dip on clouds of smoke. All right, so the what the author here is saying is that the, the melody line follows the contour of the text. Tonally, the melody is written in the Lydian mode. Uh, since the Lydian subdominant forms the awkward interval of the augmented fourth with the tonic, this is music theory, you don't need to know, it is always flatted, except when it serves as a quasi-leading note to the dominant. This is the reason for the alternate alternation of the F-sharp and the F-natural since our edition offers the melody transposed from F. Lydian to C. Lydian. It should be mentioned that later 16th century agendas had the holy, holy, etc. in the chorale sung with special gravity and dignity, right? So that when you get to holy Lord God of God of Sabaoth, holy Lord, that part, that's when the whole choir would come in or the whole congregation would come in. And I, oh, I think there's a, a setting of this um, that CPH did, or did I do it? <laughs> no, I think CPH did it. Um, 
but not one of the ones I recorded um, of the Sanctus. It should be mentioned, uh, oh yeah, we already read that. In city churches, it was to be intoned by three boys kneeling before the altar. Right, so country churches, city churches had different instructions, of course, because they had different resources. But in the city church, they have three, um, can, um, you know, boy choristers that would sing the, intone the beginning of it, and then the whole congregation would come in at holy, holy, holy Lord God of Sabaoth. Um, I wanted to read a little bit to you then about uh, from Luther's preface, where he um, kind of gives his explanation as to why. Um, how was I going to say this? Uh, you know, why he takes the time to create a German um, version of the Mass or the, of the Divine Service. Um, but before I do that, I'm just looking to see in my library if I have what Sanctuses I have in my library. See all. I have many Sanctus from the German Mass. There's Luther's version. Keep looking for this CPH one but I don't see it. So it must just be on YouTube. All right, so you'll have to look for that. All right. Oh, there it is, yeah. Oh, this is a different version of it. That's from, uh, I can't remember who did that version. Okay. I'm sorry, getting a little distracted. <laughs> Back to what I was going to read for you. Here's what Luther has to say. In the first place, I would kindly and for God's sake request all those who see this order of service or desire to follow it, do not make it a rigid law uh, to bind or entangle anyone's conscience, but use it in Christian liberty as long, when, where, and how you find it practical and useful. Isn't that great? All right, this is not a law, um, but here Luther creates this thing for the church and says, use it if you will, don't use it if you want. All right, it's, it's effectively Divine Service 5 in Lutheran Service Book, by the way. For this is being published not as though we meant to lord it over anyone else or to legislate for him, but because of the widespread demand for German masses in service and the general dissatisfaction and offense that has been caused by a great variety of new masses, for everyone makes his own order of service. Some have the best intentions, but others have no more than an itch to produce something novel so that they might shine before men as leading lights rather than being ordinary teachers, as is always the case with Christian liberty. Very few use it for the glory of God and the good of their neighbor. Most use it for their own advantage and pleasure. But while the exercise of this freedom is up to everyone's conscience and must not be cramped or forbidden, nevertheless, we must make sure that freedom shall be and remain a servant of love and of our fellow man. All right, so Luther's not trying to do anything novel here. He's just trying to uh, provide something in Christian freedom, but that would serve to um, preserve or to help the neighbor um, in learning the faith, right? So here we go. Where the people are perplexed and offended by these differences in liturg liturgical usage, however, we are certainly bound to forego our freedom and to seek, if possible, to better rather than offend them by what we do or leave undone. To better rather than to offend them. Okay, yeah, that's what it says. Um, so in other words, to do nothing, to leave what is good enough alone, right, rather than offend, um, or trying to do something creative or new. Seeing then that this external order, while it cannot affect the conscience before God, may yet serve the neighbor, we should seek to be of one mind in Christian love, as St. Paul teaches, Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 1, Philippians 2. 
As far as possible, we should observe the same rites and ceremonies, just as all Christians have the same baptism and same sacrament of the altar, and no one has received a special one of his own from God. All right. So there's no reason for us to get too creative with the divine service, is what he's saying. It's actually not helpful um, for Christians if um, every Sunday they show up and something weird's happening and they never have any end, uh, expectation. All right. So uh, this is where. Um, we're free to use different divine services, but I, what I choose to do is to use um, the same one for a season, right? And so this Sunday will be our last Sunday with divine service setting one, which we've been using for the festival half of the year. Um, we'll use service four for the summer, um, and we'll consistently use it throughout the summer, all right? So then you'll know what's going to happen next Sunday. The first Sunday will be a little awkward, of course, because it'll be new uh, or new again, but, uh, you know, we'll get into it after a couple of weeks. That is not to say that those who already have good orders or by the grace of God could make better ones should discard theirs and adopt ours. For I do not propose that all of Germany should uniformly follow our Wittenberg order. Even heretofore, the chapters, monasteries, and parishes were not all alike in every rite. But it would be well if the service in every principality would be held in the same manner, and if the order observed in, a, in the given city would also be followed by the surrounding towns and villages, whether those in other principalities hold the same order or add to it, um, ought to be free, or to be a matter of free choice and not of constraint. All right, so he's suggesting uh, the best lit liturgy is the local liturgy, right? And that the church in town do the same thing as the, or the villages do the same thing as the church in town, maybe on a different scale, but the same thing. All right. In short, we prepare such orders not for those who are already Christians, for they need none of them. And we do not live and work for them. But they live for us, who are not yet Christians, so that they make, may make Christians out of us. I love that line. I'm not even going to explain it. All right. Their worship is in the Spirit, but such orders are needed for those who are still becoming Christians, or need to be strengthened. Since, since a Christian does not need baptism, the word, the sacrament, as a Christian, for all things are his, but as a sinner. That's, that's the key, right? So we need a liturgy. We need... Um, reminders of our baptism. We need the preaching of the word. We need the sacrament of the altar, not because we're holy and righteous, but because we are sinners. That's what Luther's saying. They are especially, uh, essential, especially for the immature and the young who must be trained and educated in the scripture and God's word daily, so that they become familiar with the Bible, grounded, well-versed, and skilled in it, ready to defend their faith and in due time to teach others and to increase the kingdom of Christ. For such, one must read, sing, preach, write, and compose. And if it were to help matters along, I would have all the bells pealing and all the organs playing and have everything ring that can make a sound. For this is the damnable thing about the popish services. The men make laws, works, and merits out of them to the detriment of faith and did not use them to train the youth and common people in the scriptures and in the word of God, but became so engrossed in them as to regard them as inherently useful and necessary for salvation. That is the, the work of the very devil. The ancients did not institute or order them to that intent. All right. Now that that sent uh, it's not a sentiment that assertion from Luther, I think, is essential, and we forget um, the divine service is written for the children and for the immature adults, right? Those who are new to the faith. So those of you who are bored with the same thing every Sunday because you're so mature, um, remember this. Remember this: that the reason why we confess the Nicene Creed every Sunday. It's not because you know it, it's because others don't, right? Um, the reason why we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say the apostle, um, the um, 
like we confess our sins. You hear the preaching of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. That we we conduct ourselves um, in a ritualistic or um, I would say just a liturgical manner is maybe not for your sake. You who are mature and wise and and know all things and uh, have all things and b- believe all things already, <laughs> which I'm being a little sarcastic there. Um, but it's it's for the immature, um, the inexperienced, the new Christian, the children, right? Um, this, this is, of course, why it was the uh, it was absolute absurdity. This was very popular back in the '80s into the '90s that children would be given a separate service from the divine service. So rather than um, present to them the best of the Christian faith, right, and elevate for them the life of the Christians, the lifelong um, prayer life of the Christians in the divine service, instead the children would be ushered out into a simplified, um, you know, childish service, basically. Which actually is ignoring the whole point of the of the liturgy, which is to train up the child in the way they should go, so they don't depart from it. Right? Does that mean that the child understands and comprehends everything that we say and do on Sunday? Of course not. Right? Of course not. They don't understand or, or say understand everything that you do as as a parent, or everything that is done, you know, within government or within, um, you know, even just like observing you driving a car. They they don't understand everything that you do, but they are observing and they are learning. All right, um, and it's the same with the Lord's Word. It's the same with the liturgy. So, uh, I think we we need to take Luther to heart here and recognize um, that the liturgy is is made for sinners um, that they would that they would best or that they would come to mature in the faith. Right. So it's it's a vehicle. It's a tool. All right, um, and it's essential. He also included catechesis as part of um, the liturgy, which we've dropped, um, but that you would have a part of the catechism confessed every Sunday. Um, which is there in the order of the German Mass. Um, but here, I wanted to read to you um, the end of his preface. I think this is essential. And let no one think himself too wise for such child's play, that is, reciting the Catechism. Christ, to train men, had to become man himself. If we wish to train children, we must become children with them. Would to God such child play were widely practiced. In a short time, we would have a wealth of Christian people whose souls would be so enriched in Scripture and in the knowledge of God that to their, of their own accord, they would add more pockets, just as the Lokchi communis, which, which he's talking about ahead, is memorization of Scripture texts, and comprehend all Scripture in them. Otherwise, people could go to church daily and come away the same as they went. For they think they need only listen at a time, at the time, without any thought or learning or remembering anything. Many a man listens to sermons for three or four years and does not retain enough to give a single answer concerning his faith, as I experience daily. Enough has been written in books, yes, but it has not been driven home to the hearts. All right, so this is Luther's um, explanation about how the liturgy is actually providing the discipline of learning God's word, right, and taking it to heart. Um, But I would say by extension, so is what we're doing right now, the Congregation of Prayer. Right. So is this child's play? I don't think so. Um, does it seem childish to go through and do questions and answers, to learn the catechism, to confess it? No. We all must be children in order to teach the children, which any teacher will tell you, of course. <laughs> you learn as much as you teach. All right. And then our epistle for tomorrow is Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who, who, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. All right. That both the riches, depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Uh, so as we consider the uh, doctrine of the Holy Trinity, our confession that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of course, this is a uh, this is an idea or a concept, if you like. I th- it's not. It's a truth that is beyond our finding out. It's simply confessed, even though it remains a mystery to us. Right? Many of the things that God has spoken to us are beyond our finding out. You know, uh, beyond our our reason and strength. Faith would be one of those things. Right? Um, but another one is the doctrine of election. We've talked about this before, but it's been a little while. Um, Article 11 of the Formula of Concord is called Eternal Foreknowledge and Divine Election. This is one of our Lutheran confessions. And uh, it's one of those judgments or ways that are beyond our finding out. So uh, the formulator tries to do the best, I think, to confess what the scripture does say, but then leave it at that. All right, so I'm going to read the first part, and then I'm going to show you how they use this text from Ephesians um, to uh, help I don't know, confess or make the point. Again, Article 11, Solid Declaration on Eternal Foreknowledge and Divine Election. There has been no public scandalous and widespread dissension among the theologians of the Augsburg Confession concerning the eternal election of the children of God. Nevertheless, this article has become the occasion of very serious controversies at other places and has involved our people also. Nor have our theologians always used the same terms. Therefore, in order to by God's grace, to prevent, as far as we can, disunity and schism in this article among our posterity, we have determined to set forth our explanation of this article in this document so that all men may know what we teach, believe, and confess in this article. Um, If this teaching, or if the teaching of this article is set forth out of the divine word and according to the example it provides, it it neither can nor should be considered useless and unnecessary, still less offensive and detrimental because the Holy Scriptures mention this article not only once, and as it were in passing, but discuss and present it in detail in many places, right? So, um, in other words, what they're saying is that divine election, God's foreknowledge and his election of you unto salvation, that is, his choosing of you unto salvation, this isn't some secondary or immaterial doctrine. It's taught frequently throughout the Scriptures, and thus we, do, we should seek to confess it even though we cannot fully comprehend it, all right? In the same way, one must not bypass or reject a teaching of the divine word because some people misuse or misunderstand it. On the contrary, precisely in order to avert such misuse and misunderstanding, we must set forth the correct meaning on the basis of Scripture. Accordingly, the net total and content of this teaching on this article consists in the following points. All right, we're not going to talk about all the points. Um, But again, you can go read this, bookofconcord.org. But listen to what... Uh, how they use the Ephesians text. Let me scroll. This is paragraph 55, I think. Yeah. I'm just seeing where we should jump jump in. Yeah, I have to back up a little bit. We must, however, carefully distinguish between what God has expressly revealed in his word and what he has not revealed. 
We call that the revealed God and the hidden God, right? Beyond the matters which have been revealed in Christ and of which we have spoken thus far, there are many points in, the, in this mystery about which God has remained silent and which he has not revealed but has kept reserved solely to his own wisdom and knowledge. We are not to pry into these, nor are we to follow our own thoughts in this matter and draw our own conclusions and brood, but we are to adhere exclusively to the revealed word. This admonition is eminently necessary. Right? So, if God has not spoken, um, all we can do is speculate, and they're suggesting that speculation is not helpful. <laughs> right? In our presumption, we take much greater delight in concerning ourselves with matters which we cannot harmonize. In fact, we have no command to do so than with those aspects of, of the question which God has revealed to us in his word. Thus, there is no doubt that before the world began, God foresaw right well and with utter certainty, and that he still knows who of those who are called will believe and who will not. Likewise, who of the converted will persevere and who will not persevere, and who after falling away will return and who will become obdurate, that is, hardened. All right, there's no doubt that God knows he's foresaw with utter certainty those who um, will believe and who won't, who will persevere in the faith and who will fall away from the faith. Those who, having fallen away, will come back and those who will not. All right? But that belongs to God's hidden will. All right? Not for us to pry into. God is also aware and knows exactly how many there will be on either side. Saved and not saved, if you like. But because God has reserved this mystery to his own wisdom and not revealed anything concerning it in his word, still less has he commanded us to explore it through our own speculations but has earnestly warned against it. Romans 11, verse 33. Which is? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Therefore, we are not on the basis of our speculations to make our own deductions, draw conclusions, or brood over it, but cling solely to his revealed word to which he directs us. Without doubt, God also knows and has determined for each person the time and hour of his call and conversion. But since he has not revealed this to us, we must obey his command and operate constantly with the word while we leave the time and the hour to God. All right? So this is the, uh, what they're talking about is, is people who say, well, that person absolutely could never come to faith because look at what they've done. Oh, I don't know. Um, well, a great example would be um, the notorious criminal Jeffrey Dolmer, right? Um, who the gospel was preached to him and he was converted. Or those at the Nuremberg trials, the Nazis, uh, many of whom, when uh, the chaplain came and presented to them before them their sins, they repented, believed the gospel again, and were forgiven, uh, even while being put on trial, right? And ultimately hanging for their crimes. But yet, living in the, trusting in the forgiveness of sins that is in Jesus Christ, again, restored to faith, right? But how could you possibly know? We don't, all right? This is why um, uh, the evangelism efforts of uh, especially the 80s and 90s, man, that was a terrible time. <laughs> Sorry, um, I grew up in that time, uh, where, where we would target specific demographics as seekers, for example. Like, well, those are the people we need to reach out to, those who are seeking God. Why? How do you know that they're any more likely to come to faith? You don't. And this is, this is actually wonderfully encouraging for us as Christians, is that we don't, we don't have to play games. We don't have to try to 
um, manipulate and to cajole and to market ourselves to target demographics. No, we preach the gospel to young and old, um, to those obvious outward sinners and those who have their hidden secret sins. We preach um, the gospel um, to every nation, every language, every tongue, as we heard last week with Pentecost. And then we leave it to God, the Holy Spirit, to bring to give faith when and where he will, according to his word. All right. Um, this goes for your family too, right? If you have those who were raised in the church and now have departed, um, you don't know if they're going to come back or not. Don't act as if you do, because if you do, if you think, oh, well, God will certainly forgive them and fail to preach the gospel to them, the means by which they would be reconverted or come back to faith, now you've neglected your vocation, right? So we preach in season and out to those um, who outwardly claim to believe and those who do not, right? Um, CFW Walther put it this way, the founder of the Missouri Synod in his um, book on law and gospel, um, is that we always preach for conversion because we don't know who's sitting in the pew who doesn't believe. Even though they're in the pew and they're acting as if they do believe, we don't know if they do or not. We can't peer into their heart. So we're always preaching for conversion, for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. Then arguably that's the life of every Christian, daily, dying and rising with Jesus anyway. All right? Now, how, why? Again, the questions of why or the questions of who are beyond our um, searching, right? Beyond our wisdom and knowledge that belongs to God's hidden revealed, a hidden will, not his revealed will. His revealed will is that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, that he has done everything necessary for salvation for you and for all people, right? And you can take that to the bank, right? <laughs> so you, that, there's no uh, apprehension. Uh, this is also why church bodies that um, claim that uh, once you've fallen from faith, you can't be restored. Um, they're actually operating with human speculation, and they're actually limiting the preaching of the gospel. And I think it, it ends up um, hampering their uh, evangelism efforts as well. All right? Um, but evangelism is to preach the gospel without ceasing. So you're always forgiving sins of your children, of your neighbors, of your friends, your family. Um, you're loving them as Christ, as God in Christ has loved you. And you're letting, uh, if you like, the chips fall where they may, or God to work when and where he will. All right? um, and I think that's actually comforting, because it's not on you then. It's actually on God to do his work through you. All right? um, rather than flipping it and saying it's all about us and what we have to do. All right? So we'll, we'll celebrate tomorrow um, the way that, that God has done it all uh, for us, the Father, Son, and Spirit, um, and leaving it all um, to us simply to receive, and even a receiving heart he gives to us. So there's literally nothing uh, that we need to do. <laughs> he does it all for us. Okay. Let's confess uh, table of duties to widows one last time. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. First Timothy. 5 verses 5 through 6. And then to everyone. The commandments are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13 verse 9. And I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. Let's pray for everyone. O Lord, as you have loved us in place of yourself and thereby fulfilled all of God's law on our behalf, teach us to walk by faith in your love in all that we do, to live in love and self-sacrifice toward others in our callings, and to pray for everyone in need, seeking not our own glory, but the welfare and salvation of our neighbor. 
In your holy name we pray. Amen. On this Saturday, we pray for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith and have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Help us, good Lord, by the mystery of your holy incarnation, by your holy nativity, by your baptism, fasting, and temptation, by your agony and bloody sweat, by your cross and passion, by your precious death and burial, by your glorious resurrection and ascension, and by the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord of mercy. On this May 29th, we pray with Lydia, who celebrates her birthday. Again, we pray in Thanksgiving with Evan and Megan, celebrating the gift of marriage. We pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment, or recovering, especially Tristan, Marcella, Jeremy, Kelsey, Amanda, John, Timothy, and Janice, Sandy, Linda, Ken, and Blair, our homebound Bev, David, Roy, Willis, and Janice, and Mickey, and our uh, Mission of the Month, Lutherans for Life, as well as Sheboygan County Hispanic Outreach. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. Prayer collect for this week. O God, on this day you once taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending them the light of your Holy Spirit. Grant us in our day by the same Spirit to have a right understanding in all things and to evermore rejoice in your holy consolation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, let's sing stanzas one and six of our hymn of the day for tomorrow. Come, Holy Ghost, Creator blessed. That we 
behold him may ever bless, and in her lives our truth confess. All right, that concludes our congregation prayer for today, Saturday, May 29th. Good to have you with us here. See you checking in. Grace, Karen, Tim, Eileen and Gus, Don and Karen, Michael, good to have you. Uh, encourage you to join us tomorrow morning, divine service at 9.30 a.m., followed by uh, Bible study. We'll be resuming our Bible study on the book of Hebrews tomorrow. Since we excuse me, concluded the book of John, we'll move the Hebrews Bible study from Wednesday evening to Sunday morning. So we'll pick up where we left off in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, tomorrow morning in divine service, after divine service, excuse me. All right, and uh, just one other little announcement. I see Don's in here yet. Um, I uh, replaced the gateway router security device yesterday. Uh, we are making networking upgrades here to accommodate all, all the technology improvements we're going to be making over the summer, um, both to the, well, especially in the school, but also over uh, for church with the streaming uh, technology, which is on order now. I don't know if I announced that earlier in the week, but um, new camera and technology for the church, uh, most of that's been ordered and uh, will be installed, whoever knows, sometime this summer yet. Um, but I installed the new security device, and uh, the streaming functionality has been much better today. So it appears that the old security gateway, well, it was just old, and it didn't like uh, what we were using it for. So, uh, of course, nobody's here and Saturday morning, um, but it's worked quite well so far. So, I'll, But I will need to tweak it as we're going along, like I did the old device, uh, to make it work best for our application. Um, so bear with us as we do that. But today it was perfect, I think. So uh, I'm happy about that. It's nice when you uh, upgrade to something and it actually is an upgrade. <laughs> all right. So uh, Lord be with you all. And we'll see you again in the morning for divine service.